What up, Soul Company? Okay, you guys can go ahead and have a seat. Come on. You guys can have a seat. Uh, my name is my name's Colin. I think I already said that. Uh, if you're new to Soul Company, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Uh, we're, we're thankful to that you're jumping in with us as we're continuing through our series called The Road Less Traveled, which is a series through the book of Romans. And we are just flying through it. I know we're in week three, three and we actually only have one more week left. So we'll uh, finish up the series next week and then go into fall retreat, come back from fall retreat, uh, with, ready to jump into uh, a new series. So tonight, we're going to be in Romans 5. So if you have a Bible, phone, pull it out, Romans 5. Uh, and I, I know I said that we're, that we're just flying through. would encourage you guys, open up your Bibles uh, sometime not on a Thursday and just read through the book of Romans. There's so much good stuff in there. Uh, we're, we're just picking a couple highlights to give you an introduction to what we believe here at Saul Company, what we believe here at Saul Company. So Romans 5 tonight, uh, question for uh, you guys, or I guess more a question I've been asking myself recently, uh, this last week as I was prepping this message, is am I the only person that when I'm supposed to be productive, I get stuck in like the YouTube vortex, just like one video after another, you guys know what I'm talking about? Uh, and, and man, the, the idea of needing to be productive is just like, it gets you all the more to watch the next video, you know? It's like, ah, I could be productive or I could watch one more video. So just wondering what, what kind of uh, YouTube videos you guys like. Um, one of my personal favorites is like sports highlights, specifically people getting dunked on. I could watch people getting dunked on, I think, all day. Uh, it's so awesome. Not when you're the one getting dunked on, though, but it's so awesome. Uh, some people are big, like, DIYers. Uh, I, I've been doing some house projects, and everyone's just like, YouTube it. Someone knows on YouTube knows how to do it. Here's the issue with DIY YouTubers is they always have tools that you don't have, and they always, like, talk about materials that you don't know what they are. Um, so they're like, you know, at least for me, they're explaining it to people that are just a little bit smarter than me, a little, uh, little more prepared than I am. Um, I don't know why these videos come up, but videos of things getting crushed uh, by like hydraulic presses or like cars. I don't know. I, why do those, like, why do those videos exist? But why do you keep watching them? You know, like, it's like, ah, I have to see what this thing looks like when it gets crushed. Um, last, a uh, couple more. Uh, Rachel likes cooking videos, which I'm really thankful for because she gets inspired to make great meals, uh, which I am the primary beneficiary of those great meals. Uh, so good for me. Uh, and then last one, guilty pleasure. You guys might make fun of me for this, but it's fine because I, I just like, I'm so captivated by them is videos where people just like give things away at no cost. Okay. Well, there's one YouTuber in particular that is kind of known for this and he has a bunch of followers on YouTube, whatever subscribers, that's what you call them. Uh, his name is Mr. Beast. So weird, okay? Guys, why, why do I watch videos where a guy stands on a street corner and says, like, I'm giving you a free car, and then you, like, watch people drive by, and you know he's actually going to give them a free car, okay? Um, or, like, he'll give, if you're unfamiliar, he just, like, 
give things away. Tens of thousands of dollars. Just like, hey, do this thing. People do it. And then he gives them money. I, I don't get it, okay? He's like 24 years old, a bajillionaire, and he gives all his money away. Uh, this is Mr. Beast. Um, here's what I know about Mr. Beast. Dude is so crazy generous, at least by his videos. Crazy generous. But I wonder what it would be like to be in the video. Like being in the video or the person that's a recipient of his generosity would be so much different than standing behind a screen and just seeing that this dude, 24-year-old dude, is like incredibly generous. And I think a lot of us think that same way about God. That we know God is loving, that we see God be loving towards other people, but we often don't experience the love of God. I think a lot of us see God, see God and his generosity and his pouring out of his love to other people in our life, but then we lay in bed at night asking ourselves, why don't I get the same experience of God pouring out his love on me? Even if we're Christians, I think we can think that, man, God has shown favor to me at one point when he saved me, but now he's kind of left me to watch other people have these experiences with him, have these encounters with his love. Well, I'm, well, I'm just watching it happen. I'm not actually the one experiencing it anymore. That God was generous to us, poured out his love on us at one point, but not anymore. He then asks us to figure it out on our own. He then asks us to do all these things to experience his love. We can feel like we're in the dark with God. And so tonight, here's where we're going. We're going we're gonna to talk about four ways to experience the outpouring of God's love for you. So we don't just want to know God's loving. We want to experience that God is loving. We want to know what it is like to be washed by the love of God. And so tonight we're going to talk about four ways to do that from Romans 5. We're going to start in verse 1. Therefore, therefore, or in light of what Austin said last week, in light that Jesus has covered our sins by his blood, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So look at what Paul says there. He says, since we have been justified by faith, justified, past tense. Paul is saying that if you believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you have been justified previously in the past. And justification is, is the moment where you're made right with God. So what he's saying is when you believe in Jesus, you are made right with God. God, your sin no longer is the banner over your life. Justification is the banner over your life. And because you were justified previously, you now have peace. So you have been justified in the past, but you now have peace. But here's the reason I think we don't experience the outpouring of God's love for us, even in this, is that we come into this place letting our previous sins actually have the real say over our life actually be the banner over our life. And I'm not just talking about the sins before you knew Jesus. I'm talking about the sins that you did five years ago, yeah, but also five days ago, five hours ago, 
Yet, yes, you know you've been justified, but you're not so sure you have peace with God because what you're telling yourself is that the sin you said you'd never go back to is now present in your life. You, you, you went back and you slept with your ex. You went back and you smoked your old stash. It's, the, it's breaking the promise you made to yourself and maybe the promise you made to other people that, man, I'll never say it again. I'll never watch it again. I'll never do it again. But then you break that promise. And all of a sudden, it feels like you're not on right terms with God. Like, man, maybe I'm forgiven, but I'm not sure I'm, I'm free. I'm not really sure God likes me. I'm, I'm more experiencing embarrassment, guilt, shame, more than I'm experiencing the love of God being poured out on me, more than I'm experiencing peace with God. You feel like you let God down. You feel like you're a screw-up. You feel like you're a failure. And again, maybe God is forgiven you, but it's begrudgingly. Like he loves you, but that's because he has to, but he might not like you that much. So maybe you've been justified, but you're not so sure you have peace with God. But the first way, the first way I want you guys to see that you can experience the love of God being poured out on your life tonight is by looking at your past. Maybe your past was five years ago. Maybe that's the sin you can't let go of. Maybe it was five days ago, and maybe it was five hours ago, but that you look to your past and you say, I'm going to start living in the freedom that comes with my forgiveness. I'm going to start living in the freedom that comes with my forgiveness. Because the two always go together, but I don't think we always think they go together. Like, let me, let me give you guys an example of that. Uh, kind of something that's trending right now, I don't know how trending it is, I know it's been happening for a while, is staycations. You guys know what I'm talking about? You take a vacation, but you don't go anywhere? Yeah, yes, no, we, we know what I'm talking about. Okay, I don't get that, frankly. Don't understand. I feel like a vacation should entail getting away. Like when I hear vacation, I hear beach, warm, palm tree under the sun. I feel like if you're going to take time off work, you should go somewhere, okay? You should experience the freedom of getting out of the state of Minnesota and the cold that is coming the tundra that will be in a couple months. I'm sorry, I had to remind you guys of it, okay? Okay, if you're going to take time off work, if you're going to take time off school, you should get out of the state of Minnesota and experience the freedom of the blizzards that are coming. Here's my, here's my point with that. Guys, if you're going to believe in the forgiveness of Jesus, you need to also believe in the freedom that he offers you with it. The peace with God that he is offering you that you don't need to feel an unnecessary level of guilt and shame over what you've done, that you don't need to kill yourself over your sins because Jesus already died for them. That's what's true of you in Christ, that you not only have forgiveness, but you also have freedom. It's true of your past, present, and even future sins. If you've been around Saul Company, you've heard me say this, and if you stay around Saul Company, I promise you I'll say it again. 
I, I, I just come back to this time and time again. This is what's true for those of you that are in Christ, is that all of your sins, past, present, and future, are fully, freely, and forever forgiven. All your sins, past, present, and future, are fully, freely, and forever forgiven. And so what that means for you is that you need to start believing that you have peace with God. That your sins don't disqualify you from peace. Even your sins after becoming a Christian. And so if you want to experience that type of peace, here's what I tell you to do. Which This sounds crazy, but, but just believe me. Confess your sins. Here's why. Here's why you tell someone else. Here's why you let someone else into that. Because when you do that, you're kicking Satan in the mouth by saying, that sin no longer gets a banner over my life, but I'm going to speak truth that the word of God, the blood of Jesus has covered that, and I'm fully, freely, and forever forgiven in Christ. And so now I'm going to live in the freedom that comes with that. I'm not going to live in the condemnation that the sin was telling me I, I had to live under. Okay? That's, that's what's offered to you in Jesus. So you confess your sins because that is the doorway to freedom. Okay, so the first way we experience the, out, the poured out love of God on our lives is to look at our past and say, despite my past, I still have peace with God. So the second way is to look at our present reality. This is verse 2. Through him, that's Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Okay, so it says that we were previously justified, which gave peace, but now we stand in grace. That, that's what the text says. So what, what's Paul doing? He's making a statement about our present reality, that we are presently standing in grace. But, but again, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we come into this place, we don't say like, man, I'm just surrounded by grace in my life. Like I stepped out of a place of grace into a place of grace with people of grace. We don't think that we live surrounded by grace, but that's what Paul is saying. We feel like God is leaving us in the dark. Like, yeah, maybe God showed his love for us when, when, when we met him. We experienced grace then, but now I'm not experiencing it as much. Like our lived experience says that God isn't constantly showing us grace. He's just showing us momentary graces. Sure, maybe Monday, but not Tuesday or Wednesday. Maybe Thursday at Salt Company, but not really Friday or Saturday. Maybe again Sunday just for the next week to be something different. Like we sometimes experience God's grace, but we don't always experience God's grace. Another way to look at it is Man, maybe you met Jesus a couple years ago or a couple months ago. And you're, you're getting into the rhythm, rhythm of school, but with that comes this, like, spiritual funk. Like, man, God showed me grace then, but what about now? It just really feels more like a struggle now than it did a little while ago. I'm kind of in a funk. I can't get myself out of it. We're stuck in the dark. And when we're in the dark... We miss the beauty. See, when the lights are off, when the sun goes down, we miss the beauty of what's around us. And so if we think we're living in the dark, we're not going to see the beauty of what God's doing in our life. We're not going to see the cool ways that he's showing up and answering prayers because we're living in the dark. 
The other thing that ends up happening when we live in the dark is that you end up tripping over things, stumbling, falling, just to get back up and stumble and fall. We end up making poor decisions. We lack wisdom in our lives. And we drain ourselves of the life that we really want. When we're in the dark, what we end up doing, (coughs) excuse me, thank you, Abby. (coughs) Holy cow. I I tried to power through and I just couldn't. You guys were all like, is he going to do it? Is he going to make it? The answer is no. Whew. Um, guys, when we're in the dark and we feel like God's not speaking to us, we end up running to sin. And we end up running to places because if God's not going to talk to us, maybe something else will. Maybe the idols in my life will speak to me. Maybe success will speak to me. Maybe that relationship that I know I shouldn't be in will speak to me. Maybe momentary pleasures will speak to me. And so we run towards other things, school, work, success, girls, guys, pleasure, to be our God because we think that God will speak if the real God isn't. Man, I see this in my own life. Like my tendency to feel like God's leaving me in, in the dark And it doesn't take very long for it to feel like God's leaving me in the dark for me to run towards something else. Because if we're going to interact with God, we want our God to respond to us. And so if we feel like the ultimate God, the God of the universe, isn't responding to us, we're going to run to other things to get a response. And so what we end up feeling is really discouraged. Because it doesn't matter if you're waiting to hear from God or if you're running to other gods, you're going to end in a place of discouragement, feeling alone, feeling purposeless, feeling lost, feeling like you're in the dark, feeling like you're wandering aimlessly, stumbling forward, not sure where to go next. It's a little bit like walking into a dark room. You guys know when you like walk out of your bedroom really quickly, and you're like, oh, shoot, I forgot something. So you run back in, and then you, you know, like, where furniture is in your room. So you're, like, you know, digging through stuff to find the thing that you forgot. On your way out, you hit the corner of your bed. You stub your toe so hard. Not like the, not like the ah, I nicked my toe, shoot. Like the stub your toe word comes out of your mouth that you know shouldn't, you know. Like that kind of stub your toe. It hurts. Okay. So... Most people have done this, I think, I hope. Uh, otherwise, I am way more of a klutz than the rest of you because it happens more than, more than my fair share, in my opinion. So you end up hobbling, hobbling your way out of the room. You're like in the doorway. You look to your right. You realize you left the light switch off. Okay, if you would have flicked the light switch on, even though it's your room, that probably would have saved you from stubbing your toe, but, but you kept yourself in the dark and 
being in the dark is the thing that made you stumble. Okay, I, I think this is what our walk with God is like. And so the question is, if I'm the one stubbing my toe, if I'm stumbling forward, if I'm not hearing from God, then what is the light switch? Well, actually, the light switch isn't something God turns on. It's something you turn on. Let me, let me explain it to you. We need to realize that we are living in a world of God's grace to us. We need to, like, turn on the light and be like, man, grace is all around me. So the next way that you experience the poured out love of God on your lives is by seeing that your present reality is a world of grace, that you are swimming in grace, like a, like a fish in water that doesn't even realize it's in water. That is the Christian living in grace. And I think for some of us, we need to come out of the water just to go back in and realize, oh my gosh, I'm in grace. Like, I'm living in a world surrounded by the goodness of Jesus. Every good blessing in your life is a gift of grace from God. So if you think Salt Company is a blessing in your life, that's a gift of grace from God. If you think a, your connection group or campus group is a blessing from God, that is a gift of grace in your life. If you think your friends are a blessing, that is a gift of grace in your life. The ability to go to school, the ability to come to a place like this, like you are surrounded by grace. You are living in a world of grace. You just need to open your eyes to what God is doing. And if you feel like God's not talking to you, like, man, I'm, I'm in the dark. It still feels like I'm in the dark. I think he's doing it. He just might be doing it in unexpected ways. He might be doing it through your campus group leader. Maybe he'll do it through his word by, by opening it up. Maybe he'll do it in quiet moments that you have with God in the morning. That he, God himself, is eager to speak to you, to know you, and he wants you to know him. He's not leaving you in the dark. He's leaving you in grace. We just need to, we, we need to see that, that God wants that for us. We see that God wants to know us and be known by us, that in Christ you're surrounded by the goodness of Jesus, and so we need to be more aware of it. And so maybe for you this week, you just write a list down, things you're thankful for, blessings in your life. Man, that's the grace of Jesus. You go through one by one, that's the grace of Jesus. 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 Just to realize that he's actually not leaving you in the dark. You're in the light. You just need to turn on the lights. You need to turn on the lights to a world of God's grace. Okay, so we can see the poured out grace of God by looking to our past. We can see it in our present by standing in grace. And now the future. So same verse, verse 2, this is what it says. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. This is it. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So not only do we stand in grace, but we rejoice in hope. We rejoice in anticipation. We rejoice in expectation. We rejoice in eagerness towards the glory of God. 
towards God being made supreme. Here's what Paul wants you to know, is that the complete, total reign of Jesus is coming. And when it comes, he will get all the glory. He will get all the glory. Everything created from the cells in your body to the grass on the ground will cry out in worship to Jesus and be a reflection of his glory. But we don't experience the poured out love of God because what we do is we maybe know that's the future, but we end up living for other futures. We end up hoping in other futures. We end up rejoicing in other futures. I mean, guys, there's no better way to explain this than just by talking about my life. Like, I shared a little bit of my story earlier, but I just want to share it again with, with new parts of it. But, guys, like, man, I, like, coming into college, I wanted to make money. I wanted to make a name for myself. I wanted to do something great. I wanted to be known. And then I'm at Jesus, and the very core of my being changed. Kind of. Because what's true, like, yes, the very core of my being, my, my deepest desires did change. But I still found myself wanting to pursue things like money. Wanting to pursue things like my own glory. And yeah, maybe the deepest core of me wanted to pursue the glory of God, but, but then it would, what sin would come out of me as is like a pursuit of the good life that Colin wants. A pursuit of Colin's dream for his life. A pursuit of popularity because that'd make Colin feel good. Like, guys, even, man, guys, I tell people about Jesus for my job. Like, I have the coolest job in the world. I get paid to do this. It's awesome. Uh, but even in this job, I find myself like, man, maybe, I, maybe if I get on the stage and, and tell, tell, like, a good story, then people will remember me. Like, how sick is that? Like, I run after my own glory in the midst of doing a job that's about the glory of Jesus. But I think we all do that at some level. Like, we all know the glory of God is coming, but then we end up living for all these, like, crazy, other, smaller, inferior things in the meantime. And I'm, like, with you in that. I'm fighting that. I've seen, like, I've seen God's grace meet me in that. And I've seen progress in that, like actually wanting God to be glorified. Like actually, my job is actually about the glory of God. But, I, but I'm wondering if there are people here that, yes, love to come to Salt Company, but also dream about the day that they make the news. Like if there are people here that, yes, love to watch sports with their C group, but then also hope they're like owning the sports franchise someday. Like you longing for your own glory. Like, we love living in moments of God's grace. We love recognizing that God is gracious to us now, but then we end up hoping and rejoicing in what we think will be better things to come that are not the glory of God. So to experience the outpouring of God's love for you, I want you to rejoice in a future that is sure. Like your guaranteed future, which is rejoicing in the inevitable 
glorification of God. Longing for our assured future. So I just want to like talk to you. I don't know what God has for your future. I actually hope this room does really awesome things. Like I hope you guys become doctors. I hope you guys become lawyers. I hope you guys start your own businesses and make tons of money. But I don't know what's going to happen. I really don't. But what I do know is that one day Jesus will be glorified and that you can participate in that. And so what I want you to do is not hope and rejoice in those unsure things that might come one day, but I want you to hope and rejoice in this sure future everyone in this room has, which is the glory of Jesus. That is coming, and that is worth living for, and that is worth rejoicing in. So rejoice in what God is doing in your life. Rejoice in what God is doing in other people's lives. Rejoice in the way God is glorifying himself. Work to see the ways God is making a name for himself. This room is an example of that. That people want to come together and worship Jesus. Another way. Guys, I really think God's going to get glory at Far Retreat. So if you're like, man, how, how do I like rejoice in the glory of God? Maybe it's come to Fall Retreat. Because I think God is going to glorify his name at Camp Victory. And I want you to be a part of that. I want you to live for that, not live for all the things that maybe you're tempted to live for. Okay, so we, we've now seen ways to experience the outpouring of God's grace in our past, in our present, and in our future. So it feels like, man, band, come up here. We're good. Call it a day. There's one more. Four ways to experience the glory of God, but this one's unexpected. This one like, feels like it shouldn't go together. You guys know like foods that it feels like it shouldn't go together? A uh, couple examples. Uh, french fries and ice cream. Everyone likes that, right? I mean, we're good. Everyone likes french fries and ice cream. Ice cream or french fries and a malt? That's kind of, yeah, come on. Uh, okay, th- now, now we're going to start to get a little dicey. We're going to start to get a little dicey. Uh, have you guys ever had olive oil ice cream? Good. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Try it. Try it. Okay. Okay. La- okay. Feta, feta, and watermelon with a little mint in there. Yeah. Come on. Ta- okay. Ta- guys, Tavo's a cook and he says yes. So we're good. Um. All right. I did a little. I did a little Google search. This is where it gets like really crazy. I'm gonna go fast. Uh, We'll see what you guys think of these. Peanut butter and mayo sandwich. That's disgusting. Apple apple pie and cheddar cheese. Man- okay. Mango chunks and milk. Avocado and chocolate. This one got me. Okay, I just need to stop. This one got me. Rice and ketchup. It just feels like you're missing, a, you're missing something. You know, like rice. Like it's like... Let me put rice in a bowl, some ketchup, and eat it like breakfast cereal. I mean, what? All right, I'm going to keep going. Pizza and bananas, chocolate chips and grilled cheese sandwiches, Oreos and orange juice. Got broccoli and Cheetos? What? M&M's and popcorn? I threw that one in there to make sure you guys were listening. Come on. Uh, Peanut butter and pickle sandwiches. Last one, last one. Hot dogs and applesauce. (laughs) All right. 
All right. Things that things that go together. Things that go together that you don't think it, that things that go together that you don't think will. This is it. Fourth thing God uses to show us his poured out love for us is through suffering. Which this seems wrong and backwards. Like, man, that that's not how it works. But this is what verse 3 of Romans 5 says. Not only that. So not only all these amazing things. Not only having peace with God. Not only ha- knowing the fact that we are swimming in grace. Not only rejoicing in the glory that is to come. But we rejoice. Not only that. But we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's what God's word says. And so the word for suffering here is the Greek word thalipsis, which means suffering as a result or distress as a result of standing for what one believes. So when it says suffering here, it's actually not talking about all suffering ever. It's it's talking about a type of suffering that comes from holding your beliefs, from moving away from sin, from moving towards God's grace, towards the glory that is to come. But there's something about this hardship that shapes us, that makes us into something. Paul's not discounting the the presence, the reality of this suffering. He's not discounting the pain of this suffering that like, man, this this is really hard. This, This is horrible. But he's saying, through though it is present, though it's painful, there's a purpose in it. It's shaping us. I think for some of you, especially being a college ministry, you're asking the question, is it worth it to follow Jesus? You're counting the cost. Like, is it worth it? Is it worth it to have hard conversations? Is it worth it to be put in hard situations? Is it worth it to have hard no's to friends? Or maybe lose friends? Or maybe lose a, a boyfriend or girlfriend? Hard things. Suffering. For saying yes to Jesus, you have to say no to other things. Maybe it's getting made fun of. Maybe it's being an outcast. Maybe it's being seen as a hypocrite. Hard stuff, present stuff, painful stuff. But what God's saying is maybe the the hard thing is the purposeful thing, the thing that he's going to use, that it's shaping us, that it's building in you a tenacity to just keep going. To just keep moving forward with with a more clear picture of what the end is, which is the glory of Jesus. That it's growing in you. All the hard things are growing in you to produce something beautiful that God looks upon and pours out his love onto. That's what Paul is saying. Because what Paul's saying is the way God designed the world is that glory would come through suffering. That glory would come through suffering, rejection, being an outsider, being a weirdo, being a hypocrite. 
is not what keeps you out of the kingdom, but is the very thing that you walk through to get into the kingdom. So for some of you, you're new and you're asking the question like, man, why would God, why would a good God that wants to love me, why would he have suffering be a part of experiencing that love? But the way that God most prominently shows his love for us is not through our suffering, but through his. That he would suffer deeper than any of us ever could. That he would know what it's like to be rejected because he was. He would know what it's like to be betrayed by his friends because he spent his life with 12 of them and all 12 of them walked away when he needed them most. He knew the consequences of sin, not because he sinned, but but because he took the consequences of your sin. And as Jesus was hanging on the cross and his blood was spilling out of him, that is the most prominent symbol of God pouring out his love for you. That the poured out love of Jesus is actually the way that he chose to love you. Because what's true is when we talk about glory, the most glorious thing in Christianity is the, re- is the resurrection of Jesus. But before the resurrection could come, he had to die. So the way to glory is through suffering. Glory is followed by suffering. And so when we're lost, when we're in the dark, when we feel like we're the outsider, when we need to know God's love for us, we don't need to look any further than the person of Jesus who suffered on our behalf, who knew suffering intimately, but who was raised in glory. That is the ultimate picture of God pouring out his love for you. And so for us, would we see that God's not left us in the dark? God's not leaving us wondering what the next thing is. Wondering if he'll speak to us again. He's wanting to pour out his love for you, onto you. That you would know it, that you would experience it. And that even when you're suffering, even when it's hard to be a Christian, he would, you would see that he's turning that darkness into light. He's turning that pain into glory. Let's pray. God, I want to experience your, your love the pouring out of your love onto my life. But God, I so often feel like I'm in the dark. That I run back to sin and think that sin is now the new banner over my life. I can't believe I did it again. But that God, when you purchased, when you said you forgave me, you also gave me freedom. I have peace with you, God, that when it feels like you're not speaking to me, I just need to open my eyes to the reality of your grace. God, when I feel discouraged from living for, inf- for inferior things, that I would remember that my sure future is your glory. And so would you help me rejoice in your glory all around me? And God, when things get hard, and when I question whether, whether it's worth it to follow you, would I cling to the fact that glory comes through suffering? And so would I embrace that which you've done for me by going to the cross by dying and then by raising to new life, proving that glory, your glory is ultimate, your glory is definite, and your glory is the only thing worth living for. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.